Hi, I'm Tiffany Roberts, a recent college graduate, and this is the latest episode of Millennial Myths, a podcast dedicated to debunking the most common political myths among young Americans through a combination of on-the-street interviews, personal stories, expert analysis, and much more. Today, we are going to talk about climate change and what our nation's younger generation believes the government should do about this issue. The United Nations recently held its annual climate change summit in New York City, and one of the speakers has caught our nation's attention. That would be 16-year-old Swedish climate change activist Greta Thunberg. Back in August 2018, she took time off school to demonstrate outside the Swedish parliament and later inspired students to hold similar protests. At the UN summit, Thunberg raged at world leaders for their lack of action towards climate change. Take a listen. This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? Is this view of climate change accurate? And what do other young Americans really believe about climate change? What part of climate change are you most worried about? Polar bears. I'd, I'd like to see the ban on fracking. Water quality is also pretty important. I'm most passionate about empowering individuals and communities. I'm sick of celebrities. I love Greta Thunberg, but I'm sick of her being put up on a pedestal. I'm looking to communities to be leaders, and I'm looking to individuals to cause change. So what do you think the government should do about climate change? Our demands include things like a Green New Deal. They include things like legal rights for the ecosystems that our entire species relies on to survive. Fundamentally, we have to change everything if we want to survive as a species. Do you think there's a certain political ideology that will fix climate change? I look forward to something like a democratic socialism. I'm an anarchist. So I don't believe in being governed, but I think in order to get to a place where anarchism could thrive, we need a socialism. We need the government that exists right now to shift. Well, wouldn't you say socialism gives power to the government? Socialism does give power to the government. Letting the government take over. It wouldn't be letting the government take over if we did it right. Don't go too far. We will take a quick break. When we return, heritage expert Nick Loris will join me to debunk common myths on climate change. Overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle? Looking for a way to keep up with the news that matters? The Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day, plus interviews with lawmakers, authors, Heritage Foundation experts, and more on the most important policy debates in America today. If you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out the Daily Signal podcast, available every weekday morning. I'm now joined by Nick Loris, Deputy Director of Heritage's Rowe Institute. Nick, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. My first question for you is, is there a climate change crisis? The short answer is no. The longer answer is that, yes, climate change is happening um, and all other things being equal, uh, we know that man-made activity is going to have some warming impact. That said, we've been in a warming period. We've been in cooling periods dating back uh, you know, thousands of centuries. Right now, we're in a warming period. Having me. But by no means does that mean we're in some sort of existential crisis. So why do so many young Americans believe we're in a climate crisis? Largely because it's billed that way. Uh, you know, every natural disaster is billed as being caused by human activity or burning fossil fuels when the climate data does not 
show that at all. In fact, as we've increased carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gas emissions, we've seen a decrease in landfalling hurricanes in the continental United States. Yet, I think for people who want action on climate change, people who support things like the Green New Deal or a carbon tax, it is a good emotional pull to essentially use these natural disasters as a way to advance their policies. So I feel like a lot of it is the media and a lot of people from my generation and just young Americans in general just listening to what the media is telling them. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, and you have activists who are trying to sell this narrative. And uh, it kind of is like that game of telephone when you hear one thing and then it gets exaggerated or completely twisted into something else. That's usually what happens with climate change. And this isn't the first time we've gone down this path either. You know, you can go back and look at predictions that were made in 1989, uh, 30 years ago, that said that nations were going to be wiped off the entire face of the earth if we don't act by the year 2000. And, and here we are in 2019, and that hasn't been the case. And it seems like now they have people like Greta Thunberg, who is a leading voice of this. There's a climate crisis. We need to do something. Everyone is going to die and suffer. Yeah, that's right. And I think that, you know, activism sells and making these types of catastrophic projections sell too to create this sense of urgency. If you look at the history of climate change and what how humans have adapted to a changing climate, there's largely a positive story to tell. I mean, the amount of climate-related deaths in uh, the world have gone down tremendously because when it's hot outside and there's a heat wave or a drought, we have access to air conditioning. And when it's cold in the wintertime, we have access to heat. And we don't think of those things necessarily as climate policies. Now, earlier you mentioned the Green New Deal. Do you think the Green New Deal is an efficient way to help the environment? Not at all. In fact, it, largely the opposite. Um, even if you thought that we were in an existential crisis, the Green New Deal wouldn't do anything to mitigate global temperatures or sea level rise. Even if the United States were to achieve net zero greenhouse gas emissions or 100 uh, percent reductions in emissions, you're talking about mitigating global temperatures, maybe a few tenths of a degree Celsius by the year 2100 and averting maybe two to three centimeters of sea level rise by the year 2100. And Largely, that's because most of the emissions are going to be coming from the developing world. And when you have nearly a billion people without access to reliable, affordable electricity, uh, primarily in places like Brazil and India and China and Indonesia, they're going to continue to grow their economy to emit greenhouse gas emissions. And if you have 92% of the future emissions coming from non-OECD countries, whatever the United States does is not going to make a difference in terms of impacting global temperatures. People look at America and think we're the ones who need to do something about climate change when in all reality you have places like China and India where they are leading in carbon emissions. Yeah, that's right. And in places like China, they're building a coal-fired power plant a week. And in the United States, uh, our energy mix has fundamentally been transformed by the fracking revolution, where you see coal declining in the United States because of cheap natural gas. And China is an interesting case study because they're a country that is not even worried about the pollutants that have adverse impacts on human health and the environment. If they're not willing to tackle those type of pollutants, they're not going to be willing to reduce something 
as non-toxic as carbon dioxide. Now, is this up to our federal government to change? You know, largely it's getting the government out of the way. Um, if we can promote policies that are grounded in free markets, those increases in economic growth and reductions in environmental pollutants are going to happen through those market processes. That's what we've seen here in the United States. So what can we do as individuals to play a role in conserving our climate? Yeah, there's a few things. One, you see consumer demand changing, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, it may not necessarily make much of a climate impact, but if consumers want to buy plant-based meat uh, or plant-based burgers or lab-grown burgers, you know, that's their prerogative. And entrepreneurs and companies will meet that demand. If consumers want to choose to purchase 100% renewable power, uh, which they can do in certain states where there's competitive electricity markets, you know, that's their own choice. And if businesses choose to go 100% renewable, again, assuming that they're not taking advantage of government subsidies, they're allowed to make those choices on their own. So I think consumer demand uh, in and of itself can be a way that moves the needle on some of these investments. I think generally speaking, when it comes to conservation, um, the, the hallmark principles are one, private property rights. Uh, that's one fundamental principle that we've seen work and has been a tried and true tested approach for environmental conservation because the old economist adage is that nobody washes a rental car, right? Because you don't take care of what you don't own. And if you look at a lot of the problems, environmental challenges that are occurring uh, outside of climate in the United States and around the world, it's because of a lack of private property rights. Things like the Amazon wildfires or air pollution in China or ocean plastics. A lot of these problems, the root cause is the lack of private property rights. And thank you so much, Nick, for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me. That's it for this week's episode of Millennial Myths. In the meantime, please subscribe and share with hashtag Millennial Myths. And be sure to leave a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week. Millennial Myths is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It's executive produced by Tiffany Roberts with support from Michelle Cordero, Lauren Evans, Valia Rampersad, and Mark Guiney. For more information, visit heritage.org. Music